first in number 70, 18, a row against Wade. Oh, yay. Oh, yay. Oh, yay. This is SCOTUS Talk, a nonpartisan podcast about the Supreme Court for lawyers and non-lawyers alike. Brought to you by SCOTUS Blog. Welcome to SCOTUS Talk. I'm Amy Howe. Thanks for joining us. On December 1st, the Supreme Court will hear oral argument in Dobbs versus Jackson Women's Health Organization, a challenge to a Mississippi law that bans almost all abortions after the 15th week of pregnancy. It's a moment that abortion rights supporters have long worried about and opponents of abortion have anticipated for a long time. The justices have before them a case in which they have been asked to overrule Roe versus Wade and Planned Parenthood versus Casey, the Supreme Court's landmark decisions establishing a constitutional right to an abortion. We'll have a full analysis of the oral argument after it happens, but this week we wanted to focus on the real-world impact of the Mississippi law and the court's ruling. Joining us to discuss this is Shafali Luthra, who covers gender and health care for the 19th News. Shafali, thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. So let's start, I guess, with the state of play on the ground. Um, what are things currently like in Mississippi? The law has never gone into effect. The U.S. Court of Appeals for the Fifth Circuit blocked the law, saying it's inconsistent with Roe and Casey. That's correct. And I think what's important to understand about Mississippi and many states like it is that already abortion to access is just very, very difficult to come by. The clinic that's the plaintiff in this case, Jackson Women's Health Organization, is the only clinic in the entire state of Mississippi. It serves patients from Mississippi. It serves patients from Louisiana. It serves patients from Texas now. Um, It cannot provide abortions for every person in the state who seeks one, right? We have data from the state and the federal government that shows that actually about half of all Mississippians who've gotten abortions did not get one in state, which I think really speaks to just how how there is a mismatch between the resources available in Mississippi and and the demand that we are seeing from people who want to end pregnancies. The clinic in Jackson is, is pretty small, and they fly in all of their doctors from out of state, which again is pretty common in a lot of states that have a lot of abortion restrictions in place because for one thing, doctors often are really scared to provide this kind of health care because there is a big stigma. There is a threat of violence. We have seen doctors who provide abortions be killed in the past. And all that together means that the people who seek abortions are really dependent on when physicians are able to fly in. They are going to pay higher fees for care because the clinics have to absorb the cost right, of paying for doctors to fly here, to get hotels, to rent cars, all of that. And those factors are coming together in Mississippi and in many other states just to make a procedure that is technically legal and technically protected still very difficult to come by. So I want to unpack two things that you said. The first is that Jackson Women's Health Organization, the clinic in this case, is the state's only licensed abortion provider. How did that happen? Like, were there other clinics in the states that went out of business? So Mississippi... For many years now, this has been the only clinic in the state. That obviously wasn't the case at one point right after 1973. We saw once Roe v. Wade was determined the law of the land, more states developed abortion clinics. But 
I mean, going as back as, if not the 90s, the 2000s, and especially the 2010s onward, we have just seen abortion restrictions really pick up around the country. And what has happened is they have put more and more clinics out of business until we got to the point where Mississippi, Missouri, many other states that have these really intense patchworks, other clinics have just been forced to shut down because they can't afford to comply with all the laws that are often not deemed medically necessary, but have still been put in place. So you said that many people who need abortions in Mississippi have to go outside of the state. Where do they go? The data from the CDC suggests that the people in Mississippi who get abortions but are going out of state are largely going to Tennessee, and they're largely going to Alabama, which means, right, that they are paying also potentially for lodging, potentially for travel, potentially for childcare if they have children, taking time off work that may not be paid for. And all of these, again, are obstacles that are going to select for who is actually able to get this care right. And if you are of lower income or of other higher sort of socioeconomic needs, this just may not be in the cards for you. So let's turn to the law itself. If you could sort of outline the, the basic features. And then what was the legislature's rationale for enacting it, knowing that it's inconsistent with the Supreme Court's precedent. Rowan Casey say there is a constitutional right to an abortion up to the point at which the fetus becomes viable, which is somewhere around the 24th week of pregnancy. Correct. And this law bans abortions entirely after 15 weeks of pregnancy, right? That is directly in violation of what Roe v. Wade and Planned Parenthood v. Casey would guarantee. And this, again, is a pattern from what we have seen from many states that are led by largely Republican legislatures and governors, which is passing laws that have no chance of taking effect under the current Supreme Court precedents are in direct violation. But what the hope has been for a long time, and we especially saw this after Brett Kavanaugh was confirmed, after Amy Coney Barrett was confirmed, was that they believed that we had a Supreme Court that might be finally willing to revisit the ruling altogether, right? And it's sort of been like an arms race among states. You've got Mississippi, you've got Texas, you've got Oklahoma, et cetera, leading the charge to try and be the one to pass the law that will eventually bring around a new anti-abortion Supreme Court majority to just overturn Roe v. Wade entirely. So I want to play out a couple of scenarios. And the first one is the Supreme Court issues a decision that doesn't overturn Roe, but still upholds the 15-week ban. And I understand that this could happen in a couple of different ways, but say that happens. Um, what happens in Mississippi? And then what happens more broadly? So say, for example, the Supreme Court takes Mississippi's suggestion and takes viability out of the equation and says all that matters is whether or not the law imposes an undue burden on a woman's right to obtain an abortion. It seems that a lot of states have really interpreted undue burden in different ways, right? And so what again seems really likely is that we would see states try and be creative in how they approach restrictions that could create effectively a way to bar abortion altogether while on their face complying with this new ruling. I think it's worth noting that in Mississippi right now, Jackson Women's Health Organization actually only provides abortions up to 16 weeks, right? So a 15-week ban, 
on its on a sheer numerical level is not necessarily eliminating that many abortions, right? It's a one week difference. What we do know is that people who are between 15 and 16 weeks and people who are later in pregnancy general, when they seek abortions, it is very often because of late diagnosed medical complications for the fetus or for the parent. And these are often some really dangerous and, and painful cases, and they are going to be the ones that could be most affected. More broadly, what we could also see if the 15-week ban is upheld is, again, this sort of arms race from states, right, to try and be the one to, sort of like we've seen in Texas, pass the law that will, again, comply with this standard, but eliminate abortion as much as possible. And 15 weeks is naturally much earlier than in 24, and it will essentially make later abortions, which are the ones that are these really complicated ones and more more difficult, more dangerous and sad ones sometimes, just out of the question. And then the big picture issue, what happens if the court does overturn Roe and it goes back to the states? The Guttmacher Institute, which is a, a nonpartisan organization that right, is in favor of abortion rights, has mapped out a lot of what we can envision. And there are countless states, right, um, not countless, we can count them, but there are many states that have passed these laws that are called trigger laws that would effectively ban abortion completely if Roe v. Wade were to be overturned. Mississippi, for one, is surrounded by states like this. If you lived in Mississippi and Roe v. Wade were overturned, the closest states where abortion would be legal would be Florida, North Carolina, Kansas, and Illinois, right? These are all places that are very, very difficult to get to. Places like Illinois, California, North Carolina would really become these havens for people who are able to pull together the money, the time, the childcare, everything else to travel out of state for an abortion. And in large regions of the country, like much of the South, much of the Midwest, much of the Plains, abortion access would in all likelihood be effectively gone. So just to unpack a little bit further, in Texas right now, Texas has imposed a ban on almost all abortions after the sixth week of pregnancy. And so that in turn has affected the situation on the ground in Mississippi. Absolutely. I was in Mississippi a few weeks ago to visit Jackson Women's Health Organization. And I was just really floored by the experiences of the patients I spoke to. Um, there was this one woman who had driven from Beaumont, Texas to come to Mississippi which means she woke up at three in the morning, left her three small children with her husband, drove six hours to come here, got her first appointment, was not sure how much it would cost. And in Mississippi, like many states, there's a waiting period, right? You have to go to the clinic, go home, come back at least 24 hours later to actually get the procedure. So her plan was to you know, finish this appointment, drive six hours home again, and then she couldn't come back for two days. So she would do the six hour drive again two days later and then come back again. And what this speaks to is a few things, right? Which is the restrictions in Texas have placed new pressures on Mississippi, right? About half of all the patients Jackson Women's Health is seeing right now are either from Texas or Louisiana, which has just meant they needed to hire more doctors. They have far more patients than they are used to seeing, and it just puts more pressure on this already very frail system. And what it also speaks to is the 
the people who are coming to seek abortions, right, they are, they are going through tremendous obstacles to get here, right? They are, so in some cases, pulling out money from what they've saved to buy homes. They are getting a rise with their friends because they can't tell their parents about the abortions for, for reasons of religion or stigma. Um, one woman went to go get her tubes tied and then found out that day that she was pregnant. And just the stories you hear are are really heart-wrenching. And what it highlights, I think, is not only how personal this is for every person who is there, but the fact that very often the people who are going to be most impacted are the ones, right, where where money is already tight and where healthcare expenses are difficult already and they are becoming more difficult because of restrictions like this. The Mississippi law bans almost all abortions after the 15th week of pregnancy. There are medical exemptions or no exemptions for rape or incest. How exactly is that 15 weeks measured? The way we measure the pregnancy clock is interesting and kind of complicated, right? We calculate it from the pregnant person's last menstrual period, right? Which means that most people don't realize that they are pregnant until they have missed a period, right? A menstrual cycle is four weeks. So the absolute earliest you would realize you are pregnant is is when you are considered by the law four weeks pregnant. And of course, right, your ovulation comes actually in the middle of that cycle so when you are considered four weeks pregnant, it is two weeks after you may have actually conceived. And then in addition to sort of logistical barriers, there are other barriers that women face. Absolutely. One of the biggest barriers is that, especially in states that are hostile to abortion rights, insurance largely will not cover the procedure. And that is because Medicaid does not cover abortion, right? Some states like California use their own funds to help Medicaid cover it, but largely that's not the case. Private insurance also largely does not cover it, right? ACA plans do not cover it. And what that means is in in your Mississippis, in your Oklahomas, in your Texases, in all these other comparable states, if you are paying for an abortion, you are paying that Minimum 600 often you know, more than $1,000, completely out of pocket. Shafali Luthra, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much for having me, Amy. That's another episode of SCOTUS Talk. Thanks for joining us, and thanks to our production team. Katie Barlow, Eleanor Erskine, Angie Goh, and James Ramoser. The first plaintiff was Jane Rowe, an unmarried pregnant girl who had sought an abortion in the state of Texas and was denied it because of the Texas abortion statute.